second episode on what looks like may well end up a series of episodes on Indigenous Australia. Sorry, I can't search that, but I can search by title, actors, year, and categories like romantic comedies or sci-fi. I didn't actually summon Siri then, but there she is. Okay, of course you can't search that. In fact, these podcasts, uh, this you know, they aim to sort of be the stuff you can't find on Wikipedia. Wikipedia will just give you somebody's facts, you know, but it's impossible to find stuff such as I speak on Wikipedia because it's all too much rubbish for Wikipedia, but it's got its own value, quite possibly. All right, in the previous episode, I started off jokingly, but then seriously said, I'm going to leverage the next episode of someone else's podcast on Indigenous matters, I mean, you know, matters Indigenous. And I mentioned that I knew of two podcasts. Now, one of those was by a professor at La Trobe University, which, you know, I might get into at some stage. But the one I just came across the other day was one started by a fellow Melbourneite uh, and a fellow Westerner fairly clearly too. Actually, absolutely clearly because he tells us. And his podcast is called The History of Australia. Yeah. I'm slightly resistant to books and podcasts and whatnot that start off, you know, saying something like the history of Australia. That's a technical point, you know. I like podcasts that say on the histories of Australia. You know, there's so many of them, as many histories as there are people in the world, you know. Except for the ones who don't know what Australia is, like, you know, for example, Americans. Um... All right, so he's got a pod, this other guy's got a podcast called The History of Australia. Nice green picture of Australia, nice picture of Australia on his podcast. And, uh, you know, The Shape Australia. And uh, often I think The Shape of Australia, which is a very nice looking shape, actually, I like it, uh, is not exactly um, the same thing as, let's say, the nation state Australia. You know, we use the same word. Australia for multiple different things. Some geographical Australia uh, is the shape of Australia, you know, plus a few islands and all that sort of thing, you know. Um, so he said, um, he has said here the history of Australia and his image on his podcast is a picture, you know, of the map of Australia and a little bit of Tasmania down the bottom. Okay, now sometimes I think Australia is the nation state Australia which is not necessarily the same thing as geographical Australia. You know, is every single square inch of geographical Australia part of the nation-state Australia? Is it one and the same thing or is it a different thing? You know, and I, in the last episode, I mentioned that I think Australia, as we tend to know it, uh, is the nation-state Australia, that defined in the Constitution. Yeah. And... Uh, a very different thing to geographical Australia. And just for a joke sometimes, I, I um, think about the Huns. You know the Huns? And they used to be up in the, in the hills, you know. Um, 
not in where not where Hungary is now. I know Hungary is more than Huns. It's got Slavs and everything in there, but let's simplify it. So the Huns once, yeah, let's call them a nation, you know, the the, the nation of Huns used to be up in the steppes, you know, um, to the east of Europe. Um, and that was a nation state, you know, because we call um, the indigenous nations nations, don't we? So, you know, we're broadening what the idea of a nation is there. So let's just roll with this. Um, and the Huns one day came out of the hills and came down to what's called the Carpathian Basin. And, uh, you know, and this is oversimplified, but it's roughly what happened. The Huns came down out of the hills and settled in the Carpathian Basin, you know, where modern Hungary is now. And, and that was about a thousand years ago. And, um, and the Huns were there then. And, you know, we call it Hungary, you know. Um, not too far away from Turkey. Okay, like you'd like that sort of dad joke. All right, uh, so Hungary, the nation state of Hungary, didn't have a constitution, but, you know, don't, don't hang by the apron strings of symbolism, one of my physics teachers used to say. Um, and uh, so Hungary was up in the steppes, up in the hills, and then actually picked themselves up and moved and went down to, you know, where modern-day Hungary is, you know. So, the shape of Hungary on the map today is a different thing, fundamentally, than the, the people that are, the social club that we'll call Hungary, okay? And the Jews were the, a brilliant example, you know, they were in, apparently, Ur, you know, you are, you are in Ur. Um, and Abraham, you know, the legendary Abraham, the mythical, slightly mythical, slightly legendary Abraham was, you know, over where? Over in the in Mesopotamia, you know, um, somewhere. And he no doubt had his clan, his tribe, his people, you know, and you might call them the early Israelites, you know. And one day he picked himself up and his mob, and headed across, you know, because God promised him another place, Canaan. Um, and um, there were trespassers in Canaan, unfortunately, which made it a bit difficult, you know, the Canaanites. But, you know, eventually Abraham uh, picked up the Israelites and shifted them to what was we were eventually going to call Israel, you know, Judea and Israel. All right. So, you know, and one can imagine that the nation-state of Australia, right, is, is actually associated with um, the shape of Australia, geographical Australia, now the nation-state of Australia. But let's say um, that uh, for some reason we had to evacuate Australia. You know, a nuclear holocaust or China sort of gave us our marching orders or whatever you want to call it. Okay, theoretically... We could go somewhere else. You know, we could pick all of us. We could pick ourselves up and go somewhere else. So, is Austra the nation state Australia fundamentally the same thing as geographical Australia? Well, not fundamentally, is it? Now, this is interesting. You know, so you know, we might you know ring our friends over 
in America and say, listen, can you just um, put aside Nevada for us, you know? Um, or can you put aside, um, um, you know, somewhere? Um, give, us, give us some land, you know? Um, and uh, Actually, Israel, uh, in the modern incarnation of Israel, um, it wasn't certain that that was going to be centred on, uh, you know, Jerusalem and thereabouts. Um, uh, they almost picked up, they almost decided to create Israel in um, the Kimberleys here in Australia. You know, there was a debate on back in just after the World War Two about where Israel should be. And the thought was that the Kimberleys might be a nice spot. They missed an opportunity there. Lots of minerals uh, were found there subsequent to all of this and they could have been rich, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't think the locals in the Kimberleys, you know, the, the um, indigenous mobs there were overly consulted quite possibly, but people were trying to do the right thing by the Jews, you know, and there was some talk of Israel being formed in the Kimberleys. And uh, also in, I can't believe I can't even think where, you know, where's Salt Lake City? Um, uh, another place that they thought they might create Israel was over in America. Uh, I, I, I just can't believe sometimes that, you know, things go out of my head, but wherever Salt Lake City is, um, you know, is that where the Mormons are or something? Anyway, they, they were thinking of um, setting aside land in America and giving that to, you know, a new nation state of Israel, which would be the next coming, the second coming of the ancient Israel, you know, which was uh, basically obliterated by um, the original Hitler, who was Hadrian, you know, that's a whole story. We'll talk about that another day. Hadrian, my goodness, um, I think the Jews, even to this day, I think they dislike Hadrian, who, you know, who's kind of remembered fondly by the rest of us, um, in, in a way, Hadrian's Wall and all that, you know, or remembered as a great emperor, anyway, of Rome, and, uh, but... I think Jews each night pray that God will crush Hadrian's bones, you know, the Emperor Hadrian, back just after the time of Jesus, you know, it was 70 AD or something like that. And, um, and Hadrian, um, he absolutely destroyed the temple at Jerusalem and scattered the Jews, you know, the one that we tried to kill them all, but the ones he didn't manage to kill, him and his son, um, you know, scattered themselves up into Europe and up, you know, even further, you know, beyond Roman lands and up into Germanic lands, uh, you know, where Hitler would eventually find them. Oh, my goodness, yeah, history is very big. All right, but what I'm getting at is um, that, you know, it's a bit arbitrary. A nation-state is not the same thing as the geographical shape. Yeah, so um, look at this. I'm, all I've done is look at the picture on this other guy's um, podcast, and already I'm chatting away, you know, I've probably chatted for quite a while now, I don't even know how long, because I don't look at my iPad. All right, so, theoretically, Australia, you know, maybe we'll have global warming, and Antarctica might be a livable place, and China might give us our marching orders, and, uh, and, and we'll all go and live down in Antarctica, and we'll take our precious constitution with us and we'll just make an amendment to the constitution and we'll say that um, we own, you know, a third of Antarctica and that's Australia now, you know. So Australia is not necessarily linked to the map of Australia, okay? 
So, uh, that's the first my first reaction to his podcast, the picture he's put up. Next reaction is he's called it the history of Australia. There's many histories of Australia. You know, I've got another podcast called On the Histories of Ethiopia, and I was fairly deliberate about that because, you know, um, the histories of Australia, uh, Ethiopia. I didn't want to suggest that I had any possible, you know, I had any hope of getting to the bottom of the history of Ethiopia as if there is a single history of Ethiopia. Now, look, this is pernickety. You know, this is picky. This is pedantic, I know, but it's, you know, this is me. Um, and, you know, I prefer a podcast to be called The Histories of Australia, you know, because there are many histories of Australia and they're not all based on fact, you know. Fact? What's fact, you know? I don't want to get into that, you know. I mean by fact, you know, Western-style fact, you know. The sort of fact um, for which there is what we call evidence, you know. Um, evidence as detected by our five senses, you know, is if our all our senses can detect something, then that's um, that's a kind of scientific fact, you know. A scientific fact is one which um, is brought into our brains by our senses, you know, our eyes and our, um, and, and, uh, you know, what we can see and what we can hear and all that sort of stuff and what we can touch and what we feel, you know. Um, so that's a type of, um, you know, and there's a leap of faith there that our senses aren't lying to us, you know, and that includes our sense of logic, you know, and our sense of reasoning, all that sort of stuff. There's a, a leap of faith there. You know, all science involves a leap of faith, and I thought that's really interesting, you know. So, you know, it's a, it's a leap of faith that I'm happy to engage in, and it's not exactly, you know, as rubbery as um, the leaps of faith that are required to enter into a superstition, yeah. And leaps of faith that uh, that arise from theology are probably somewhere in between, in my book at least. Yeah, excuse me. <coughs> um, you know, because at least some uh, a certain type of logic has been brought into play when theology theology comes into play, and uh, and there's a kind of theology to do with indigenous. Um, Indigenous uh, beliefs, um, you know, um, indigenous facts, you know, as they see them, no doubt, in which they have noticed the way the earth is, um, and the way the, their world is, and, you know, they've used their imaginations to you know, imagine an origin story, you know. These are all things science, science is important, um, an important perspective on history. Uh, you've got a scientific way of looking at things. You know, the Greeks sort of started all that. Um, but then a theological approach, such as is used by you know, Christians, for example, and Muslims and indigenous people, you know, where they, where they look at the world around them and work backwards. Um, that's a type of logic, you know, and it actually stands up, you know, because um, our ability to do that is... Our ability to do that is something within nature, is a real thing in nature. Just our sheer ability to do that is something that is a natural occurrence in the universe, you know, our ability to do that. So our imagination is just as real, in my opinion, as a rock, okay? 
Um, so if you imagine something, you know, that is something that is a, occurring for real in the universe when you imagine something. So if you imagine a rainbow serpent um, having created whatever the rainbow serpent created, I, I actually am not an expert on indigenous people and their uh, myths and legends and, and their realities and truths. Um, and that, as I've said before, that I think makes me perfectly well qualified to create this podcast in the way I want this podcast created. You know, I don't want a professor on this uh, podcast. I want me. All right. So, uh, that's... Um, so, you know, uh, but let's hear the start of this podcast by this other guy, this other guy who also comes from Melbourne, who's also a Westerner, who's also a male, who, you know, seems to have roughly the same profile as me. That's interesting, isn't it? Excuse me again. <coughs> um, so, you've got two blokes from Australia um, who both see themselves as Aussies, as far as I can tell. You know, both of us can uh, talk like Aussies, mate, you know. Oh, I didn't do that very well. He does it better. I, I heard his first episode already. Ah, uh, yeah, we both come from Australia, you know. Um, and, uh, and are there any linguists out there? Because, you know, you're listening to me speak here. You're about to listen to this other bloke speak. Uh, and if... If you're a linguist, that might be interesting because I have detected we don't speak exactly the same and yet we're both, we both have the same cultural profile roughly at a guess. Maybe he's a bit younger than me, you know, I'm 56. You know, maybe he's 40, you know, or something like that. Maybe he's 30, maybe he's 12, maybe he's four and he's precocious, you know. I don't know. Uh, but, um, uh, sorry, someone's just texted me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, linguists, yeah, so we've got two blokes here, both wanting to talk about Indigenous matters. Some people think that's a problem, you know. Just let Indigenous people talk about Indigenous people, you know. But, nah, nah. If he wants to talk about Indigenous stuff, then he can. And if I want to, I will too, you know. Um, if, if I want to climb Uluru, I will. Oh, no, I probably wouldn't, actually, because I've got more respect than that. Believe it or not, I've got... See, I told you I have no respect, but I have... Uh, but uh, actually, I I was at the um, it's amazing. I was at the handover of Uluru in and I, thirty years ago. Uh, I'm fifty six now, and I was it was probably more than thirty years. Uh, it was whenever the first Adelaide Grand Prix was on because I went to that as well. Uh, I was hitchhiking around Australia. It's a huge long story, and I was doing all the stuff you know um, that you do when you're young, early twenties or whatever I was, and. I was in Cairns, you know, I'd hitchhiked all the way up there uh, from Melbourne. Cairns is at the top of Australia. And then, this is before the internet, but I was in a youth hostel and I saw on a notice board that the Uluru was about to be handed over, you know. And that's how you found out things those days, you know, in those days. You know, it was on a, something had to be posted <laughs> up on, you know, with a, with a pin <laughs> on a notice board. Anyway... I got excited by that and I said, oh, that's, that's clearly a big event. You know, I wasn't into Indigenous matters at all, you know. Uh, I was just having fun um, and, you know, getting as many experiences as I could doing a hitchhiking thing around Australia. Anyway, I actually wanted to be there very much and I jumped on a bus, which was against my rules uh, because I didn't want to... I wanted to hitchhike right around Australia. That was the plan. The big lap, 
you know, we can do that in Australia. We can do the big lap because we've got the whole lot, haven't we? Um, and uh, so um, I jumped on a bus and shot across to you know, th three ways um, in Northern Territory and then down to, I don't know, a little T intersection. Uh, oh, I stopped in Alice Springs for a day or two because I was running early. And went out and visited a Herm, uh, Hermansburger, which is an indigenous, a Lutheran indigenous sort of um, settlement, you know, where the, the old preachers used to go, the missionaries, uh, but nobody was there, came back. Um, I mean, I didn't have a car or anything at the time because I was hitchhiking, you know, but um, uh, I, I met an older lady, you know, who, uh, she was probably 35, you know, I was really old, you know, I'm 56 now, so it's not very old. And um, and she drove me out there. I met another old lady, actually, nothing to do with all of this. And um, she was having a fight with her husband or something. And um, this is when I was hitchhiking up the east coast. And uh, and you know I was carrying a guitar. You know I was in a hippie face. And um, she was having a fight with her husband or something. And they'd been invited to a wedding. And she was going to the wedding herself without him. And she picked me up and took me to the wedding instead, which is very bizarre. These are the things that happen when you're traveling around, you know. You get picked up by all the women. It's pretty interesting. All right, now, um, so uh, I went down there and I ended up over at Uluru and I made it on time. And for the handover of Uluru, uh, the governor, Sir Ninian Stephen was there. Um, and everyone was gathered you know, sort of at the base of the rock, you know. I, I blew my mind, first time I'd ever seen Uluru. Uh, it was, we called it Ayers Rock back then. We call it Uluru now. And I knew, I knew that Uluru was big. But it's one of those things in the world where when you go there, you sort of go, oh, wow, you know. It's kind of sublime, you know, that's big. And, um, and I went there and everyone was gathering for this, the, celebration and all that sort of stuff and um and i got my camera stolen but then i bought a cheap camera i had a beautiful camera canon ae1 very upset when i lost that someone stole it from the backpackers at cairns and uh, but then i bought a cheapie and so i've got lots of photos of all of this and uh, and i got there to uluru and there's a little airstrip there and um they had two sort of boards, you know, metal boards, where they painted uh, the words to some song or something that the women were going to sing, as I subsequently discovered. Uh, so, and um, it was all in the local indigenous language. Um, I actually headed straight over to the airstrip and waited for uh, the governor's plane to come in because I'd worked out what was happening. So I thought, oh, this is a good way to get close to, you know, I didn't want to be shoved around in the crowd and sitting up the back, you know, like someone at Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, you know, speak up, you know. Um, life of Brian. Uh, right. Uh, and I got really close to, and I took some photos of Sinini uh, and Stephen, uh, and I was right next to him, essentially, and, and then I kind of walked next to his little entourage and um, pretty much got a, a really good spot. Uh, to watch the celebration and then all the women came out and danced 
uh, you know, a tribal dance or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, yeah. and, um, oh, look, I'll say what I was thinking and I couldn't believe it. My, my mind was blown because they were all topless, you know, that's how immature I was, you know, uh, I'm not going to apologize for that, but I was just, uh, you know, so, huh, I'm just a, I'm a Catholic boy, you know, and I wasn't used to that, and I, uh, I'll say no more about that, but it was very interesting. I, I can't remember the song, but I can remember some things. Okay, uh, that was that. Anyway, so, um, look, on with the show. Uh, I don't mind these digressions. Look, I'm talking about Indigenous stuff by accident, aren't I? You know, I'm probably many, many minutes into this, and already I've said a lot about Indigenous peoples, and, you know, I've, uh, from a philosophical and um, historical and, uh, you know, from a... Uh, perspective and from a perspective where myths and legends are valid that's going to be really important you know myths and legends are valid uh and arguably now yeah, that's my favorite word arguably as valid as scientific histories you know and I, as i said i did a history i did a, a podcast on the histories of ethiopia and it's my contention that if Ethiopia didn't make up myths and legends about itself, it wouldn't have survived. Um, its myths and legends sustained it, you know. Same goes for the Israelites, you know. The Israelites and the Ethiopians are very connected, you know, because the Ethiopians are one of the 12 tribes of Judah, you know. Um, but um, the, the Jews, you know, if they didn't sincerely believe, you know, as Abraham was heading across to you know, and there's parallels to this in the way that um, the Europeans were heading over to Australia, you know, because um, some of the justification of the early Europeans in settling this new promised land, if you want to call it that, um, this Australia, um, you know, there was, um, there was legislation in place in the Bible under Deuteronomy that, one, if one wants to pick oneself up and go somewhere else and slaughter everybody... Uh, there's an absolute justification, a moral justification and, um, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy. Have a good read. It's a ripper of a read. Is it Deuteronomy 7, I think? Or whatever, read the whole of Deuteronomy. You know, and it said, wherever you find people, slaughter them all, slaughter them all. You know, and that's in the Bible. And the early Australians were very much um, Christians. And, you know, there's their justification right there. It's in the Bible. Okay. Uh, so... Um, so all of that, all and on the histories of Ethiopia, um, you know, and then the Jews, you know, their myths and their legends sustained them. If you forced some of these places to adhere, as many, you know, atheist type people, you know, you, um, a purely scientific approach is the only one that's allowed. We will not even entertain anything but a purely uh, scientific approach. Yeah, that's the only truth. All other truths are not true, you know. If you do that, many communities in the world would not have survived. You know, Alexander the Great wouldn't have done everything he did because he believed himself to be, you know, the, modern, the next incarnation of Achilles. And Achilles wasn't real, you know. And Alexander imagined himself to be the next Achilles, you know. And Julius Caesar, you know, he imagined himself to be descended from Venus and that gave him a godlike complex, which was good, you know. And Alexander had a godlike complex too. And, you know, we wouldn't be calling him Alexander the Great anymore. 
And why don't we call Julius Caesar Julius Caesar the Great? I don't know. Um, but we wouldn't be calling Alexander the Great Alexander the Great anymore if he didn't truly believe himself to be the next Achilles. Now, I think his mum, you know, told him from, oh, you know, Greek males, you know. Yes, he's Greek, you know. He's Hellenic. Sorry, he's not Macedonian. Well, he's Macedonian Greek, is he? All right. He's in hell. He, he, he sees himself as uh, Greek. He, he, see, he's, he spoke Greek. He saw himself as, you know, he was a kind of rustic Greek from up the north, not as cultured as Athens, but it was Greek, you know. And, you know, he saw himself as, you know, uh, part of the Homeric tradition. So he's Greek, you know. I don't think he was Slavic. All right. Now, um, so, you know, it all comes to a legend and myth are very important. Um, and just as real and just as true, you know. And the indigenous peoples of Australia, you know, would not be sustaining themselves if we if we came down with our Western ideas of if you can't prove the rainbow snake uh, actually existed and, you know, did whatever the rainbow snake did, then the rainbow snake is struck off, you know. And uh, you can't call that history. All you can do is call that bullgust. You know, now that's a very unsophisticated way of going about it. the histories of anywhere. You know, I'm into legends and myths, and I entirely entertain them because I think it's what separates us from the apes. You know, um, the rest of the apes. We're apes, but you know, and maybe we're not. You know, maybe the rainbow serpent made us. You know, made rainbow snake. Um, you know, maybe God made us in seven days. You know, um, and we're not to do with the apes at all. You know. You might have come from the monkeys, but I didn't, you know. Um, but um, it's what separates us from the apes, I think, the fact that we can have these alternative truths. Um, if, if we were, you know, an ape, a monkey, a chimpanzee, bonobo, you know, chimpanzees and bonobos, they're the closest to us, aren't they? All right, bonobo, bonobo, I don't know. I've only ever read that word. I've never heard it spoken. Um... Chimpanzees, uh, they see a banana and they take that, you know, they, 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 they don't look beyond the banana, as far as I know. Hard to get inside a chimpanzee's head. Uh, but they look at a banana and they say, and they analyse it and they say, that's a banana, I'm going to eat it. You know, but they don't build a myth and a legend around that banana and how that, the origin of that banana and how it came to be, you know. Um, uh, uh, but... Uh, and, and, and that makes them a fairly unsophisticated kind of ape. Whereas I think we're a much more sophisticated kind of ape. You know, we can take a scientific approach to that a, a banana and, you know, the origin of trees from a scientific perspective. But we can also do it from a, a mythical perspective, you know, that, um, you know, God was the king of, you know, chimpanzee. God, God was a chimpanzee. You know, we're, made, we're chimpanzees made in uh, his image and he did, he did supply bananas to be at our disposal because he is a merciful merciful god you know so we can do that sort of thing and that's what separates us from the chimpanzees oh did i say the chimpanzees can do that no i don't think they can uh, but we can do that you know all right so um I, I love to entertain myths legends and all that sort of stuff and i think that's really important um a scientific history of australia is one really important history a type of history, you know, there might even be multiple types of scientific histories, uh, but um, I wouldn't discount the other types of histories too, the ones built on myth and legend. I think they're important as well. 
Right, now, without further ado, well, that was a lot of ado already, so let's not have any further ado. Here comes the start of, and I already listened to this first episode, at least in half of his second episode, this other Melbourneite. Linguists, get on board, see if there's any difference between in our, uh, our, our accents. That's very interesting. And... Uh, and I'll play the start of his, and as a Westerner, I think fairly predictably, he starts off with um, a, you know, the Big Bang. You know, that's, I remember that, is how he started. He starts off with the Big Bang, you know. Whereas if you're coming at it from an Indigenous truth, and I call it a truth, I have to call it a truth, the, uh, the world didn't start with the Big Bang. It started with, you know, a rainbow snake or whatever indigenous people say about their origin stories you know um, you know western origin stories are different um well indigenous people hunter gatherers basically uh with exceptions you know i don't know and um hunter gatherers you know marvo he wasn't a hunter gatherer uh he was uh he he was from a um cultivating the land type uh mob up to the is it, was he in the Torres Strait alright but indi most indigenous peoples were hunter gatherers so you know their origin stories I think centre around the land because hunter gatherers are looking looking down and around because the earth is giveth you know the earth supplies everything um, whereas um, what we call in the Greek tradition civilizations. Um, they um the way civilizations work you know and apparently there's an economic reason for all of this and all that sort of stuff they and people who have civilizations as the greeks understood they made up the word so you know you can't say oh everything's a civilization you know because you're changing the meaning of the word the greeks meant civilization you know they invented the word so they're allowed to say what it's a, what it means and what they mean by civilization is you know nice straight roads <laughs> more than that you know Division of labour and all that sort of stuff. But apparently one way or another, as you talk about that over and over and over and over again, um, it ends up that people aren't really seeing the land as supplying all. Uh, but then their, their focus shifts and they start looking up into the stars and, you know, God is supplying all and it's coming down to them bountifully, you know. And the land is working for them. You know, Indigenous people, more hunter-gatherer, they're looking at the land in a different way and that they are one with the land, you know. And that basically um, boils down maybe to the fact of whether you're an agricultural society, you know, which tends, you know, like the Indians and like the, you know, the people of the Middle East, you know, and all that sort of stuff, tend, you know, they start civilizations, you know, Egypt, and they start saying, ah, you know, um... We look to the heavens and it's all being... We look up in the sky and the sky is providing all of this. But we're, we're, if you're a hunter-gatherer, maybe you're looking around, you know, and saying the earth is supplying all this and we are one with the earth, you know. So, you know, maybe that's where the myths and the legends of the two different types of people uh, come from. And, you know, uh, and you know, eventually, you know, um, the British came to Australia and you get one type of person... Um, Meeting the other type of person, you get um, one ancient culture based on civilizations meeting another civilization based on hunter gathering, and they've got this completely fundamental different way of looking at everything. And of course, they didn't understand each other, you know, um, that's not to justify what any of them did. 
but you know, and the British came here and they couldn't see any evidence of religion amongst the indigenous peoples, you know. But the and um, and yeah, even anthropologists amongst the uh, you know well-meaning scientific anthropologists studied the indigenous people and couldn't see any evidence of religion because they were looking for um, religious activity uh, that uh, kind of looked to the sky. You know, any evidence of anything where indigenous people looking up in the sky and imagining that something up there is, you know, um, that was their origin story and brought everything down, you know what I mean? And all they could see is um, indigenous people walking around looking at the earth looking at the ground, you know, and, and you know, they, they drew a conclusion, the only conclusion from their sort of context, their social construction, their structure, you know, how things were structured in their heads, and they just concluded, because they had no real insight into any of, you know, what I'm talking about now, and I'm lucky because I've had smarter people than me tell me all this sort of stuff or suggest all this stuff to me, uh, they had no way of recognising a religion that was sitting there right in front of their faces but they just couldn't see it. You know, that's the way it works. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's another. That's, that's just another way of looking at everything that happened. You know, when the British came into contact with the Indigenous peoples and they said, well, under, under our sort of civilization rules and the way we've been for many thousands of years, uh, there is a thing called ownership of land. You know, and they looked at the indigenous people and they couldn't see any evidence of ownership of land, you know. So they said, well, these indigenous peoples are not making any claims on the land, you know, as far as our perspective. And they were being honest. They weren't trying to be, you know, they were being greedy. Don't worry about that. They were being greedy. There's no doubt about that. There's two words that go together really well as Europeans and greed. Um, uh, they were being greedy, so they were going to take whatever they wanted anyway and justify it later. Don't worry about that. That was always going to be the way. But then again, is that bad? Because that's everything they'd been taught all their history. You know, That's what everyone else was doing to them. And they were going to do it to everyone else too. That was the rules of the game as far as Europeans were concerned. And if, you know, for 5,000 years that's been the rules of the game and then suddenly someone says, well, why didn't you just guess it wasn't the rules of the game, you know, when you first met the Indigenous people? And the English people say, well, would you have? You know, it's very easy in the 21st century to imagine that if you had been back in, you know, 1788, you would have thought differently. You know, and uh, you wouldn't have, you know. You know, if you were back in 1901, whoever you are listening to this, I reckon you would have loved the white Australia policy. You would have loved it, you know. You would have voted for it. You would have been for it, you know. Even you people who think you're the nicest and most compassionate and best people in the world, you would have been in every time and place in history, you know, who are saying, you know, our ancestors were terrible people. Well, you would have been the same. Well, I don't know if you would have been the same, but it's my bet that you would have been. All right, you know, so, you know, if, if you, to be a, you know, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying. All right, let's listen to this guy anyway, this other Belbanite, um, and see what he's got to say. And what I'm likely to do, because I know myself, know thyself, you know, said Aristotle or somebody, um, know thyself, said Plato, I don't know who it was, it was one of those guys. Um, and uh, Aristotle, yeah, and he said, hmm, did God make man or did man make God? You know, the Greeks... 
got to hand it to the Greeks, you know. People just argue about that sort of stuff now to this day, you know, and they argue it like, you know, that argument's been had many centuries ago, thousands of years ago. It's, you know, it's an old argument. Just let it, just, you know, don't get passionate about it. We've been arguing about that one forever. All right. Um, you know, just, just engage and immerse and, you know, they're all different truths, you know, and it's very important to have this loosey-goosey type of uh, uh, sort of perspective, you know, allowing everything, entertaining everything like a good philosopher would, you know. The philo philosophers have the power to entertain things without necessarily agreeing, you know. So you can be a, um, you can absolutely be a born-again Christian, but if you're a philosopher as well, you can entertain atheism, atheism and you can spend a whole evening talk about the you know the values of atheism and the virtues of atheism and all that sort of stuff because you have the as a philosopher you don't have to be clever you just have to be willing to um willing to be sort of humble on a certain level you know and uh you, you know willing to entertain things you don't agree with you know you know yeah, let's let's. I'm a racist for you know. Let's call me a racist. I'm a racist. I'm a very bad person. I'm a racist, but as a really good philosopher and a virtuous one too, I can entertain. You know, if I you know, I can entertain an anti-racist point of view. You know, and I can speak for a whole evening. You know, I could go to a debating class and argue the anti-racist um, perspective. You know, with great sincerity and really. You know, even though I'm a redneck, you know, even though I vote Pauline Hanson um, and I vote whoever, Donald Trump, somehow I vote for Donald Trump even though I'm Australian and I'm not allowed to vote in America, but I voted for him, you know, because I snuck over there and, um, and put my thumbprint into something and, yeah, tricky, tricky. Uh, uh, there was another podcast that made a joke like that because obviously I'm not any of those things. I didn't vote for Pauline Hanson, never have, you know. Uh, there was another podcaster I was listening to who wasn't a communist, poor guy. He's a philosopher and he made a joke like that. And he said, um, and he, he was doing an episode on Marxism, you know, and he said, um, his name's Stephen West, what a nice guy, you know, but, um, and he was getting sponsored and everything, you know, and in one of his episodes, he was doing an episode on Marxism, you know, and he, being a philosopher, he entertains things that he even he probably doesn't agree with and he was entertaining the idea of marxism for the purposes of that podcast you know he said if, if i'm going to talk about marxism i will immerse myself in marxism and then i'll talk about capitalism another day you know and i'll immerse in that and he said anyway all right so i'm a marxist he said and then he got a backlash oh my god <sighs> philosophers can't really talk with mere mortals <laughs> <coughs> ah, mere mortals. Ah, I'm a mere mortal. I'm lower than a mere mortal, you know, because I'm a philosopher, but not a smart one, you know, so I'm lower. I'm an ape. I'm a chimpanzee. All right, so let's get into this guy. Oh, you know, I, I like this. I love the way I can talk for an hour before I even press the button on the thing that I said I was going to talk about. Um, and this guy is a fellow Melbourneite, as I said. And boy, I've got the chats up today. All right, let's listen to him. And then I'll stop him. And knowing me, he'll say one thing which will set me off for another hour. Um, but I told you already in a previous episode with me, you just got to strap yourself in and be ready for a chat. Okay, here we go. Let's hear what he's got to say. 
Come along, what's your name? I don't, I forget his name. Chris, you know. I would like to preface this podcast by stating that when researching and discussing early human history, and this is tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago that we're talking about, we are limited by what I can summate is three things. Number one, the amount of fossil and geological evidence that we have at our disposal. Number two, the accuracy of the tools and processes we use to date these things. And number three, our perception of that data and how we turn that into a narrative. And four, how willing we are to entertain alternative histories that are nothing to do with data and fossils. Alternative histories that arise from our imagination. Okay, on with the, on with the other show. But I, I like this guy, don't worry about that. And he could just as easily take pull my pod... You know, I'm not here to pull him, his podcast apart. I just want to add little bits and pieces, you know. And he could grab my podcast and completely smash it down because he's researched, you know, and I haven't, you know. So here we go. Let's, let's hear what he's got to say next. Well, narrative. I've researched for many hours on the topics in this podcast oh, and have continually found conflicting dates, conflicting estimations, narratives. So I've done my best to check sources, consolidate the information and find a balanced truth given our current knowledge of the situation. And because we're talking about tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago, please be aware that just about every fact in this episode is subject to change in the future. Right, I'll stop him there. Look, it's already subject to change now, you know. Um, a balanced truth can't do that, uh, you know. Just live. You know, you know, I've got a much more loosey-goosey way of doing these things, uh, thinking about these things. There's, you know, a million different narratives already. Just relax, you know. Don't try and find a truth. There's my perspective. Now, you don't have to go with my perspective. Go with his perspective if you like. I'm very loosey-goosey, though. I'm happy with a million different narratives already you know i'm not just go with what you know now and you know and if you've got five different um conflicting histories don't try and resolve them have fun with them all you know now but that's just my perspective you know you don't have to go with my perspective go with his perspective if you like but my perspective is a lot more relaxed you know all right um Oh my goodness, I've got, you know, what am I going to do? I've got 50 conflicting um, narratives. Um, oh, how am I going to balance all these up, you know, like a god, you know, I'm a god. I'm going to, and how am I going to resolve this into a single consistent truth that's the best possible truth that I can come up with, subject to future um, information incoming so that I can process that information and refine my truth and get you something, you know, I'll do, an epi- I'll do another episode down the track. You know, this is what he's getting at. Oh, man, that sounds like hard work. Me, I say I've got 50 different conflicting truths and I'm not going to try and resolve them at all. You know, they can all sit side by side with each other. Um, and if, if some of them are causing harm, you know, I might try and, you know... We might send some tanks and um, some guns after that lot and have a war with that lot and knock them off. Um, but, you know, uh, if, someone wants to, if someone has it in their heads as a truth that the rainbow, and that's really the only indigenous myth that, keeps, that I can even think of, you know. I don't know anything about indigenous people, not much at all. Uh, 
And, you know, as I've said before, this qualifies me for this podcast. It doesn't write me off. It qualifies me as someone perfect to do the sort of podcast I want to do. All right, let's listen to what he's got to say next. Okay. And we're not trying to pull his podcast apart, but this is a nice, easy way for me to construct a podcast by just um, (sighs) listening to someone else and then seeing what I think of that. So, that being said... Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Bit of indigenous music with a bit of western guitar. And a kookaburra. 13.8 billion years ago, the universe comes into existence. 4.5 billion years ago, the Earth comes into existence. 3.8 billion years ago, the Earth cools down, the oceans form, and we see our first life of sick. All right, so we're talking billions of years. Okay, he's gone back billions of years under a Western kind of idea of truth. Um, You know, the the scientists have deduced, according to their rules of, um, you know, their leap of faith, that whatever you can detect with your senses, even if that's... um, even if that's uh, referred um, or indirect, you know, it's still our senses, you know, if we, if we build machines and telescopes and all that sort of thing and we study redshift in light and, you know, and, and we think about the speed of light and all that sort of stuff and we work out that um, the Earth is expanding and started off with a big bang, you know. So that's a scientific perspective. So he's clearly starting off with that perspective, you know, which is absolutely valid. But he's talking billions of years here. Now, I uh, sometimes, you know, you hear people say billions of years. We can't even fathom what that is. But you're talking deep, 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 deep time. You know what I mean? Um, 65,000 years, 70,000, 80,000 years, however long, 50,000, however long the indigenous people be, have been here in Australia before uh, Europeans came here. It's just such a ridiculous um, uh, instant you know, just an instant in time compared to even one million years. Just an instant in time. Uh, well, no, actually, not really, is it? It's kind of 0.65% of a million years, which is it? Have I got my maths right there? Um, okay, so that's fairly significant. All right, try a billion. Okay, then you've got, what is it? And I'll, I'll probably get the maths wrong here, but 0.0065%, something like that. All right, but it's just so ridiculous. And just imagine one rock, Uluru, sitting in the middle of Australia for 65,000 years. But before that, for 200,000 years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and before that, just for a million years, just sitting there. Just sitting, the sun coming up and the sun going down and the sun going up and 30 degrees the whole time. Except at night. Right, so, you know, hot and hot. <laughs> oh, there was ice ages and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, and then go back even, oh, that's a million years. Oh, now two million years and three million years. And this is where it starts to blow your mind, the sort of time scale that this guy's talking about. Huge time scale. And we were, you know, we kind of European, kind of Arab type, kind of, Jewish kind of Judeo-Christian kind of people. We just—it was too mind-blowing for us. So we, um, our origin story only went back six thousand years, you know, because we thought that's just as much as is even sensible, 
you know, so God made the earth in seven days only 6,000 years ago, not this bloody six million years ago, not this six billion years, not this 13 point, what did he say, eight billion years ago. Oh, that's just too mind-blowing, you know. And that was beyond the imagination of humans. Um, so there you go. Um, all right. Um, so we're getting our head around billions of years. Now, I do remember this start of this episode and he flips across to millions of years now. Now, millions of years, when he jumps onto the millions of years scale, that is a completely different box of frogs to billions of years, you know. He suddenly flips to millions of years and you've got to adjust your head to get a sense of how long that is, you know. So life comes onto the earth you know, what did he say, 3.5 billion years ago, just the sheer amount of time before the monkeys come along, you know, just ridiculous amounts of time that just, what, single-cell organisms are just sort of just sitting there trying to replicate so slow, such deep time. Right, I've got that point out there. Right, let's go. Single-celled organisms... 470 million years ago. Oh, there's a jump. First land plants. Millions. 450 million years ago. First animals. Just 325 like that. million years ago. The first reptiles. And then dinosaurs come onto the scene 248 million years That's ago. That's not long ago. Not long after that, 200 million years ago, you see the first mammals. That's, That's a long us. time. 65 million years ago, the mass extinction of the dinosaurs, a cataclysmic extinction event at the end of the Jurassic period we think was caused by a big meteorite. 60 million years ago, the first primates begin swinging in the trees of Africa's jungles. That's us. And 15 million years ago, we see the first apes. 3.5 million years ago, the first hominids appear in East Africa. Maybe that's 300,000 years ago, we see the first Homo sapiens, the first real humans. 150,000 years ago, they migrate out of Africa. And 65,000 years ago, thousands. the first Homo sapiens reach the shores Not of Australia. And this is where our story kicks off. In this podcast, I'll be discussing the history of Australia, from the first homo sapiens to set foot on this Aussie soil to the latest political scandal. I plan to cover a very wide variety of topics in this podcast. It's the first season, and I'll be going over a broad overview in chronological order of the history of this great country. The this great country. Now, that's ambitious. He said the first season. Now, I can see this is the 24th of April 2018 he's done this. We are now in June 2019. He did three episodes, bang, bang, bang. Um, and then I don't see any more episodes after that. So I reckon he's just had grand ambitions and then given up. I, you know, a lot of people start off in a blaze of glory on projects. Um, I like to keep expectations low by not promising I'm going to do anything. All right, this great country, Australia. Now, I don't know whether he means the geographical country. I don't know. If, I think he's blending indigenous uh, cultures, you know, indigenous histories with um, modern Western. And I think this bears out when he speaks next um, as to what he's talking about. Um, this great Austra country, Australia. Now, he's saying that as a self-evident fact. You know, I don't think he's leaving any room for us to disagree there. And this is where I try with my grammar to not do that, you know. There's a point of difference, you know. I'm not trying to market myself, but there's a point of difference there, in which I don't necessarily think this is a great country. 
In fact, I know a lot of people, younger people, who think this is a shocking country, a horrible country, bad country. Um, you know, Australia, you know, outrageous country, you know. Um, and that's a real valid... Um, uh, and I talked about John Howard in the previous episode. You know, he wanted to think this is a great country. Now, this guy who's about to do this podcast that we're about to listen to and that we're listening to, I don't think he's a John Howardite. You'll, you'll hear that in his voice. He's much more compassionate. I think he sees himself more on the reasonable, rational side of things, you know. He's not pushing a conservative line. I doubt that he's conservative. Now, I could tell that from what he's about to say next. You'll hear that. And yet, I don't think he's a... Um, I don't know what he is, all right? But he is buying into the idea and he's very keen to push that this is a great country. I derive some of my virtue in this podcast by not making that assumption, you know. Um, if you think this is a great country, then I want this podcast to reinforce that thought um, because, you you know, you can make evidence fit for that. And if you think this is a terrible country, if the nation-state of Australia, for example, if, if you're an Indigenous person and you think the nation-state of Australia is a, an abomination, I want this podcast to reflect that. Now, my colleague here... <laughs> my amateur podcasting colleague um, says, you know, he's, he's, he's telling you that this is a great country. Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you, of course, to decide whether it's a great country or not, you know. And, you know, um, I'm happy to say, all right, from some perspectives, it's a great country. But from same, some other perspectives, it's an abomination. And I wish it would just, I wish it would just go home. You know, wish all Europeans would go home. The indigenous peoples were great nations. Um, I like those guys. You know, I might come from that perspective. And Europeans, look, why don't you rack off? You know, um, this is a crap country. Multiculturalism, crap idea. Because multiculturalism means Arabs and Africans and Greeks and Italians and Irish and English and you bloody opened up the floodgates, you know, if I was an Indigenous person, I think I would be thinking this, I honestly do, I think I would be thinking, I know myself, you know, know thyself, um, and if I was an Indigenous person, and all these do-gooders were banging on about multiculturalism, it's my bet that I would say to hell with your multiculturalism, thanks for opening the floodgates, now we've got Chinese here, I don't like Chinese, we've got, uh, we've got Arabs here, we've got English here, we've got, we've got, People from Iceland here, you know. We've got people from countries I don't even, I don't, I've never even heard of here. And they're all calling my land theirs. To hell with that, you know. I might be thinking that. I don't think that personally. Just saying what I might be thinking if I was an Indigenous person. Anyway, so my colleague here is saying that Australia is unequivocally a great country. This great country, all right. Now, I'm not trying to pick on him. I will say that much. Okay? I'm not trying to pick on him. I'm just saying he's coming from a perspective because his podcast says the history of Australia. You know, he's got a history of Australia and it's the history of Australia from his perspective. Okay, um, I haven't got a history of Australia. I just want to talk about all the histories of Australia. All right. Now, my iPad is telling me that I've spoken for 59 minutes, 25, 26, 27 seconds. So, and I know it cuts off at an hour. So I'm going to press uh, stop and then make a little bit of music come in and then I'll continue on with our friend.
um, my fellow Melbourneite, my fellow male Westerner, okay? And see what he's got to say as he and I, 49, 50, 51, 52, as he and I, Dane decide to talk about indigenous peoples. 59. I'll finish this episode there. Uh, there's no solid introduction or conclusion to these episodes. They don't follow a structure. Yeah, they don't follow a Western-style structure. I've heard of that a Western styles way of talking, a Western way of writing. Um, there was an indigenous lady that came on the radio a while ago and she was doing a biography on some indigenous bloke in, you know, that she knew, you know, and, um, and she was at pains to uh, say that it wasn't written in um, a Western style, uh, in as much as, you know, uh, a Western style of biography would you know, probably focus a lot on verifiable facts and all that sort of thing. And she was saying, um, no, this is a biography done in traditional, traditional oral history style, um, where we tell stories and all that sort of thing and get at the, get at the nature of the man through storytelling and all that sort of thing. The facts are not that important. And, and therein lies a little bit of um, a, a lesson, I think. Uh, a lesson, that's not right, the word. Uh, not the right word. A, uh, a little bit what this podcast's about too. You know, we're not so dedicated to facts as the only way to get at the truth of things, you know, because there's multiple truths, you know. Sometimes I can tell a complete fiction about someone uh, you know, I could do a biography about you, whoever you are, and I could put it in an absolutely fictional sort of setting and um, and make it all made up and it could tell more about you than a straight biography of, you know, where you went to school and all that sort of thing. I could bring your character out better in a fiction, I bet, than I could just by telling your bland, the bland facts of your history and... This applies to, you know, any sort of study of any culture as well, including Indigenous peoples. I'm sure, um, I think it was true when I was doing the histories of Ethiopia, for example. Um, so that's that. Now, I, I want to just finish off this podcast with something amusing, but it's not amusing, it's terrible. Um, all right, I mentioned that I went to Uluru and I was there at the handover. Uh, remember? Sir Governor, the Governor, Sir Ninian Stephen. Um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I was there as a twenty, you know, young twenties. Um, now I can't remember whether we were asked not to climb the rock or not. Probably we were, but I might not have been listening. Uh, now I wouldn't climb the rock these days, believe it or not. You know, uh, because I just wouldn't. You know, I think uh, I don't want to say because I've got respect or anything like that, but I just wouldn't. You know. Um, and I do have respect. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, um, I don't, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I sort of step to the left if someone's coming through. Um, and it's an American, and he steps to the right, and we collide. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, so, uh, so I wouldn't climb the rock now. 
But when I was in my early 20s, I went to the, I was at the whole, you know, I got the entire cultural experience, you know, the handover. It's not Ayers Rock anymore, it's Uluru and all that sort of stuff, you know. And um, traditional dance, I was immersed. Um, yep, yeah, you can go. Um, I was immersed, you know, and I, I, I was probably the biggest cultural hit you can have, a little bit like having a hit of drugs. I've never seen drugs. Oh, actually, I saw I saw a small packet of ice once, and only quite recently. You know, I won't tell you who showed it to me. But first time I ever even laid eyes on drugs. All right, but um, I've led a sheltered life. Uh, but um, uh, I think I saw marijuana when I was young, and I did. Uh, never, never tried it. Uh, but you know, there you go. Um, so I had a cultural hit as a young 20-something-year-old, 20 year but it was the first time I'd ever been to Uluru. And the next morning I woke up and I wanted to climb it. Now you could smash me for that, but it wasn't me climbing the rock. It was, you know, it wasn't my 56-year-old me climbing the rock. It was my 20-something-year-old climbing the rock. You're gonna smash me? Now there's photographic evidence too. Now, um, if, I really, I'm not on social media, you know, but if I was on social media and I put a photo of myself on top of Uluru, I signed this little thing, you know, there was a little thing, you, there was a book up there you could sign. There's a little pedestal up the top of Uluru and you went up to it and, you know, and I signed my name in it, you know, very nice. There was you know, quite a climb actually, you know, there was a chain um, and uh, I met a bloke um, he was an athlete and, uh, you know, he was really kitted out. I was just in my normal, I was in shorts cause hot. Um, uh, and I had a, t a singlet on, I dived great barrier reef, you know, cause I'd come straight from Cairns down there. Um, anyway, um, and I know this from the photos, uh, so, and I met him at base camp, you know, there's a bit of a, a little base campy type thing there. And he was just sitting there ready, you know, getting ready to um, to run up, you know. I think he was in, he was training. He was clearly an athlete. Anyway, I, I was young and I said, you know, let's, I'll race you. This is a big mistake. Um, and he was up for that. Uh, so for fun, he would have been about 30, I think. He looked about 30. And, um, and off he went up the rock and I, chased him but he just disappeared <laughs> i couldn't believe how fast he was actually like a goat <laughs> incredible um anyway so i climbed the rock and uh now there's photographic evidence of that now i could put that on facebook tomorrow if i was on facebook um i could put that on twitter if i was on twitter yeah i could put it on insta and i would come in for a hammering i could lose my job well, maybe I couldn't lose my job, but maybe I could, you know, because I, I work in a culturally sensitive kind of sort of industry, very culturally, you know, indigenous flags everywhere, all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, you know, the, at the bottom of emails, everyone's got the Torres Strait Island and indigenous flags um, and, and, the, um, and the rainbow flag as well, you know, that's on most people's emails that I receive at work. Um, so, you know, very culturally sensitive. And if I put that up on Facebook, I'd be, I'd be smashed. And I won't say that it's wrong that I would be smashed. Now, 
Am I trying to defend myself here for climbing Uluru? No, I'm not. It's just different me. There's a 24-year-old me. You know, how old was I? Maybe 24. I think I was younger, actually, 22. Whatever. I was young, you know. And I decided to climb the rock. And I'm 56 now, and I wouldn't climb the rock now. Yeah. I'm not trying to justify myself. I just did. That's all I did. And I went up to the top of the rock, and, oh, uh, the ogres. I could see, you know. You got a good view of the ogres from up there. Um, okay. Then I came back down, and that was that. I climbed the rock, you know. Uh, wasn't much industry around there. I think if you went up there now, I, I believe people still climb the rock now. Uh, I think the locals sort of say, please don't, but we won't stop you. You know, I don't know what... I, di- I didn't read the terms and conditions of the handover of Uluru, but, you know, um, it was kind of handed over to the Indigenous people and then handed back straight away for our use, you know, uh, the Westerners. Um, and I don't know what all the terms and conditions, I think it was, you know, done on an honour system. Ha ha, gotcha, you know, because we're Europeans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> honour, we like honour systems. We don't have to, we don't have to actually uh, follow them at all. Um, okay, so, um, so I climbed the rock. And now, uh, do I feel like smashing myself? Well, no, I don't. I just climbed it and that's that, you know. Uh, I'm, you know, am I being wrong for reporting that I climbed it? No, you know, what am I going to do? Lie to you? That's wrong too. I just climbed it. And I just did and that's the end of it, you know. It should be a very boring story, you know. Uh, now, what, what did we have recently? Um, Jason Akamanis was on a footy show. He's a football player, Brisbane. You know, I'm, I'm mad Essendon supporter. Um, tribal, I'm tribal, uh, Essendon. And uh, Jason Akamanis um, came on to a footy show and he, got, he used to work for an Indigenous group. Was it a radio station or something? And he ended up getting the sack or asked to leave or something like that. I think he said something, you know. Uh, oh, he said, he said, oh, I criticise, you know, I said something about the monkeys upstairs, you know, the monkeys running this show, you know. And I don't know whether he meant, I don't know whether he connected, you know, because we say that at our work too, about Europeans running the show, you know, oh, the monkeys up there, you know. Maybe he made a mistake or something. Maybe he should have he should have been switched on. He should have been checking the dishwasher, you know. Did I talk about that in a previous episode, checking the dishwasher? Kunek, yes, I did. Alice Kunek, my goodness, you'd have to listen to all these podcasts to understand where I'm coming from with some of these things. He should have checked the dishwasher before he opened his big mouth, you know, but he got laid off. And then... Years later, someone asked him, what got you laid off? And he said, oh, I said such and such, you know. I said, I, I made a reference to the monkeys upstairs running this joint or something and, you know, it was called racist and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and he got smashed for reporting what he had said back then. Now, I think what he had said back then was wrong, was him reporting what he said. Was it racist in and of itself, him reporting what he said back then or was he just being honest? Oh, look, it could go either way. Maybe he should have said, I don't want to say why I got sacked, you know. But then, you know, he's not being open and frank in an interview then. Oh, jeez, it gets complex. Um, but me, um, I did a bad, bad thing way back then, um, climbed all the rue, and I'm happy to say I did a bad, bad thing, in my opinion, even though I'm apolitical, uh, you know, but I'm, in, I'm pro-respect. I am definitely pro-respect. 
But at that time, I was a young bloke. And I wasn't 12. I was 23. But if you knew me back then, I had the head of a seven-year-old. I was immature. We mature late, some of us. Uh, everyone's maturing a lot faster these days in the 21st century. Um, and, you know... By 15, everybody knows all the right politics because they've got social media. I had no social media back then to correct me. You know, I wasn't being corrected every minute of the day. I was making it up as I went along, just hitchhiking around Australia and just making it up as we went along, you know. I got a ride with one, um, with a guy in a Toyota Hilux. Uh, I hitchhiked from Uluru back down to um, Adelaide, to watch the Grand Prix, the first Grand Prix at Adelaide, and uh, this uh, bloke picked me up, and my God, he, uh, uh, yeah, he was stealing diesel fuel. Uh, they, they were building a new Stuart Highway at the time, and he was stealing diesel fuel as we went along. You know, if I was a good person, I'd dob him in, wouldn't I? And I'm not sure about that guy to this day. He never spoke to me, you know. He picked me up, thanks for that. You know, very hard to get a lift down there sometimes. Um, but... He freaked me out a lot, you know. Um, there was, you know, and I've I've told people about this many times over the years. But he left the old Stewart Highway to head across to the new Stewart Highway to steal some diesel fuel from, you know, the roadworks um, uh, stuff. Um, and um, and we got lost. It was a long way between the two different Stewart Highways, and we ended up in scrub. And we ended up quite lost, you know. And he still didn't talk to me. He wasn't talking to me. He would have been about 30-something. I would have been early 20s, you know. <coughs> and we were lost. And um, we ended up on a cattle track. He was in a four-wheel drive. He had a four-wheel drive with a couple of boys. It looked just like the Toyota, and I think it was a Toyota, um, Wolf Creek. I've never seen the movie because I don't watch horror movies. Um, Wolf Creek, that guy, you know. Um, it was a Toyota, and I've got a photo of him this day I took a photo covertly I took a photo of him um I'll tell you when I took a photo of him and I've still got the photo um and we were on a cattle track and then we ended up in real scrubby scrubby sort of land and you know he he got me he spoke to me this much he wanted me out the front of the Hilux um or whatever it was you know Toyota Land Cruiser I can't remember what it was exactly had a covered wagon I was in the front and um he wanted me to clear branches and things. Um, so I was walking in front of the car, clearing branches, you know, just in my shorts, you know, and, um, and, a, and a singlet. It was pretty cold. And um, oh, I can't remember, maybe I put a top on, I can't remember. Anyway, um, and, I was, and I was thinking to myself, he could just put that into reverse and drive off and I'd be finished. You know, I'd be... And I actually had that thought, and it's that strange sort of little panic you have. Uh, and um, But he didn't, you know. He wasn't nuts. He wasn't Wolf Creek. Um, he was a bit... He wasn't very sociable. Um, and we ended up finding our way back to the, you know, the old Stuart Highway. We never got the diesel on that occasion. Um, and we ended up finding our way back. And... Uh, one point he mentioned he was following the moon, you know, to try and get back to the Stuart Highway. And, you know, I'd done physics and I knew the moon moved. We were out there for a long time trying to find our way back. Uh, and the moon is not the best thing to follow. Maybe 
you know, something like the North Star might be better or something like that. Um, moon wanders all over the place. Very nerve-wracking. Quite bright um, all night. You know, the moon was, the moon was full uh, from memory. Okay. <coughs> um, so, we got back there. But anyway, back at Uluru, I'd climbed Uluru. And, uh, and years later, you know, sometimes... I'm telling you about that now, aren't I? Uh, but I'm using a fake name, so you can't sack me. Um, and I like digressing, by the way. Get used to that. All right? Um, so, uh, there, you know, there was a parliamentary secretary recently who... It, it ended up on Facebook that back in 2003, he had been to a fancy dress, and I mentioned this in the Alice Kunek uh, episode... In 2003, he had done what we call blackface these days. But back in 2003, I'm not sure that we knew what that was in Australia, especially younger people. You know, we didn't know what that was. We had no social media. Maybe social media was just starting. Did Facebook start in 2003? Something like that. Um, and he... Um, um, parliamentary secretary? I've probably put that wrong. He was a secretary of some sort, or maybe a speechwriter or something, you know. Um, in for a minister or something like that and this old photo from what 16 years ago emerged on social media facebook he got the sack you know uh, a little bit like alice kunek you know got smashed um for going blackface and she claimed she didn't know and she might have known but she says she didn't know and you have to be able to entertain the idea if you're a good thinker that she might have known all right, um, blackface got nothing to do with indigenous people. Maybe it's got something to do with them. I don't know. You know, American culture is coming across the whole world, and everybody's American. Now. Everyone's African American now, unless you're a white person. You know, you could be an Ethiopian, you're an, an Ethiopian, and you're an African American now. You know, you listen to rap, and you've got you got all the same anger that um, African Americans have got. You know, but you're Ethiopian, and you've never been colonized. You know, I don't count the Italian colonization. Uh, that wasn't a real one. Um, but you weren't colonised in the scramble for Africa and you're Ethiopian, you're famous for that. Um, you don't have a history of colonisation and all that sort of stuff. You've got nothing to do with African-Americans really. In fact, as Ethiopians, you were really loved being slave masters. You, know, you, used to, you used to have slaves. You weren't slaves, you had slaves, you know. And Ethiopians, you know, kept slavery going till after World War Two. You know, the Americans gave it up a long time before that and the English gave it up before that. The English even invented the idea of, you know, abolishing slavery, slavery and all that sort of stuff. But now you've got Ethiopians, you know, and they're becoming Americans. Uh, and they're, feel, they're crying because, you know, we once were, we were slaves, you know. But you weren't. You were slave masters, you know. Um, and indigenous people, you know, maybe some of them are doing rap. I don't know, you know. Some of them do rock and roll. Some of them do, I think... Um, my brother was friends with, you know, he got together with Nicky Winmar, you know, and um, he had an uncle who loved playing guitar, a little bit like my uncle, you know, our, my brother and I have an uncle who plays guitar too. And, um, and he loved rock and roll, Nicky Winmar's uncle, you know. Um, and uh, anyway, um, and they had a great night, Tony said, you know, I think, um, anyway, I won't go into that. Uh, so, um, I climbed Uluru, and years later, you know, I was telling someone about that, and I sort of said, um, I wonder what young indigenous blokes did back, you know, thousands of years ago. 
many thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago before Europeans came here, who lived in that area. Um, was there ever an indigenous boy or girl who didn't climb the rock? Now, this doesn't justify me climbing the rock, I'm just saying. I was immature like a 15-year-old um, back then. And were there 50, you know, and this is not a license for everyone to climb the rock because, you know, an immature person did it once. But did every, you know, there were initiation sort of thing. Um, indigenous people and the elders would have said, don't climb the rock, you know. That's one of the rules, you know, and the poor kids, you know, in the, in the tribe. What are you going to do? You've got the Olgas, you've got Uluru, and you've got flat land for as far as the eye can see. You've got one bloody rock, you know, and the Olgas over there to the distance. How far is that? 100 kilometres, 80 kilometres? I can't remember. Um, so um, you've got a young bloke in the tribe. You've got, all right, you've got a, I'll, I'll say boys, because boys, are boys naughtier than girls? Um, yeah, I think they are. But that might be a gendered thing to do. I think I've got an episode on gendering. Maybe I haven't. I'm starting to forget what I've got. All right. So, uh, Indigenous boy in the tribe. Um, all the Indigenous boys, they're all talking. There's elders telling us not to climb this rock. And it's the only thing to do around here. We've got one rock. You know, this is like, um, you know, um, an, a Kenyan boy, you know. And there's one tree on the savannah. And all the older, his parents have told him not to climb it. And he says, but there's one tree, you know. Can I just climb that one tree? I just want to climb the tree. I'm a boy, I'm a boy, and my mum won't admit it, you know. Um, and the parents say, no, no, it's against culture, you know. Stick your culture, you know, the kids are probably saying. Anyway, back in Australia, you've got one rock. It's, a, it's the best rock on the planet. Oh, for goodness sake. We've got one rock. Yeah, besides the Olgas. Um, we've got one rock and we're not allowed to climb it. Not only that, it's the best rock on the planet. This is just cruel. And all the boys probably got together in the village. Uh, village? Um, in the tribe. Maybe the girls too, you know, because um, I don't understand gender. All right, now, um, and all the kids get together and the elders won't let us climb the rock. I want to climb the rock. I'm going to climb the rock anyway, says one of the boys. Yeah, you'll get in trouble, you know. Yeah, I'm not a mouse. I'm going to climb it anyway. In fact, I already climbed it. What? You climbed it already? Yeah, I climbed it last week. You did not. I did. It's pretty steep. There's a chain on it. <laughs> no, there was no chain then. Um, is there a little book at the top you signed? No, there wasn't that either. All right. And um, an Indigenous boy is sitting there and, and he, they dare each other. Let's all climb it. Come on. Um, oh, you know, one kid there, you know. Oh, but what about our cultural sensitivities? Rack off, you know. <laughs> Aloysius. <laughs> um, you, or you could say here, you know, but we're going to climb the rock in the morning before dawn. And, and then the boys all went up there. And the elders found out. And they all got a, a right good thrashing. But what the elders didn't tell the kids is they did the same thing when they were kids. Yeah, there's an interesting way to finish off the episode. Yeah. yeah. And the moral of that story is, find a picture of me climbing Ayers Rock when I was a kid, put it up on Facebook, and just write the words, what the dot dot dot, you know, because that's the 
and in social media language, you start the words with what the dot 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 because the idea is to fill in the blanks, you know, and and a lot of uh, social media posts I know this um, start with when, you know, when when you let um, when a boy is not disciplined enough, you know, and and then put it up on social media, it'll go viral and you'll get me the sack. Because I'm a bad person. Am I proud of this? You know, you haven't been listening to these episodes. I'm not saying I'm proud of this. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying what happened. I'm reporting what happened. Like Jason Ackermanis reported what happened in his case. He's a bad person, that Jason Ackermanis. But boy, could he play three premierships in a row. All right, here we go. And he could do a handstand too. End of episode.